three years later, constantly dialing it in, constantly learning, constantly adjusting. So it's a lifestyle. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 39, and today's guest is Emily Griffith, the founder and CEO of Lilbox. After discovering the potential of an underutilized superfood while living in Australia, Chicago native Emily founded Lilbox, the buckwheat company with a mission to offer innovative buckwheat snack and breakfast products while promoting a more nutritious diet and soil health in North America. Emily graduated from Indiana University Kelly School of Business in 2014 and then worked in digital marketing for three years at agencies in Chicago and Sydney, Australia. She then ran her own marketing and graphic design business for two years before transitioning to Lil Bucks full-time. Emily loves travel, adventure sports, smoothie bowls, and Cocker Spaniels. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Branstetter of the Wild wow Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready? Break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Emily Griffith, CEO and founder of Lil Bucks Sprouted Buckwheat. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, thanks for uh, doing the show. And as I, uh, you and I chatted uh, before we got started, I feel like I know you for such a long time because you did a podcast where I first uh, heard of your business and of you with a friend of mine who uh, helps me with this podcast. Uh, his name is Max Brandstetter. Uh, you were a guest of his and uh, your story uh, stuck with me. And, and so I'm glad that uh, you were willing to do the show with me. Yeah, it's full circle since that was my first podcast ever recorded. So pretty cool that you enjoyed it. And now I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, you know, we, we like to, to get these shows started, uh, give the audience a little background on, you know, who the guest is. Is there anything that you kind of think about yourself as being a little remarkable? One of the things I think really helps me in being an entrepreneur and is kind of formed my career is kind of being a renaissance person in a way really good at a lot of different things but not excellent or great at one particular thing which i found challenging when i was pursuing the corporate marketing route and was like well you know i'm also a pretty decent graphic designer and i can do websites and i'm interested in the strategy and the analytics and the social media strategy and like actually executing it and leading and account management, like, you know, the list goes on. So, it was, you know, it's a blessing in a way to be kind of at least able to do a lot in that, you know, field, you know, it was challenging when you're like, wait, but what do, what do I pinhole myself into? And then I think as I started getting into entrepreneurship and that's the perfect <laughs> thing because you do have to kind of be not an expert at everything, obviously, but 
Right. Well, we'll come to that and as your entrepreneurship in a bit. Talk about, uh, you know, you went to, uh, you graduated from Indiana Kelly School, which is where I guess you met Max. Um, and then uh, what were you studying? Uh, anything in specific there? Yeah, actually, I was studying marketing and graphic design. Majored in marketing in the business school and then supported that with taking graphic design classes. So, and minored in that. So kind of funny, rarely one of those people who actually pursued what my degree was in after college. And your first job out of school was for a company called Burson Marsteller. Um, I've heard of them, don't know them well. Tell us about what your first role was. Yeah, so I joined a digital marketing branch of Burson Marsteller. It's a major PR agency that's been around for a few decades. They're really known for pretty big in crisis response and corporate social responsibility. So, you know, was on the team when they were working with Chipotle on E. coli problems. My big account was Hormel Foods for most of the years. I mean, it's kind of wild three years of big food with Hormel working on everything from social media strategy and the brand side to crisis management, monitoring for different things like food safety across all their brands and recalls and things about the meat industry. There's a lot of controversy online there, working on their corporate social responsibility team and helping them form and communicate all of their goals, mostly related to sustainability. So it was a really interesting way to learn about different aspects of a major corporation that way. I worked on tons of different accounts, Bank of America, even Four Loco. Uh, so it was really fun, kind of a way to dip your toes and learn a lot about different types of businesses really quickly, but spent most of my time Hormel Foods was the biggest client for sure. Before I get into some of your travel and some of your other stuff, you, you talked a little bit about sustainable products, sustainable food. What does sustainability mean as it relates to the food industry? Yeah, I think it's a few things. I mean, obviously, I think where it starts is sustainable sourcing. For us, that's, I mean, with Little Bucks, we make breakfast and uh, snacking products out of sprouted buckwheat, where we source the buckwheat from is big, you know, being closer to home, reducing your carbon footprint on how far ingredients are traveling. And then with us, regenerative agriculture is big. So sourcing from regenerative certified farms. So that means that the farms are um, concerned with improving their soil health with every harvest based on including certain crops at different times of the year to replenish the nutrients in the soil rather than growing the same thing over and over and over every year. But obviously the source, how it gets to you, the transportation, and then packaging and what's happening there. So there's a lot of innovation and sustainable packaging happening, new brands coming out, switching to different types of solutions, and then kind of teaching your consumer. So for example, we have recyclable pouches, but they're only store recyclable. And actually in the U.S., there's not a lot of education around or general consumer knowledge about how to recycle properly. So part I think of being a brand that's putting, you know, promoting our products and we want more people to eat little bucks, obviously. Um, but part of our burden is then to help educate consumers on how to recycle and to actually recycle our bags and kind of get to that end point and then start again. 
Interesting stuff. I'm going to come back to Lil Bucks in, in a minute. But at some point in your earlier life, you spent some time in, in Australia. Um, it's a place I've never been, but seen great pictures and read great stories and talked to folks that have been. Tell us what drew you there and you know what you got from you know your experiences being there. Yeah, Australia's certainly given me a lot. I feel like I grew up a lot in the time I spent in Australia, but when I was in school, I got a scholarship to go spend a semester anywhere in the world um, that had a business program that worked with Indiana's business school. And so I immediately being from, you know, grew up in Chicago suburb and then Northern Indiana. And I'd always been California dreaming ever since, you know, want to learn how to surf and live somewhere warm and by the beach. I was always fascinated by that. And so when I got the scholarship, my first thought was, well, I want to go as far away as possible because when do you get an opportunity like this to kind of go anywhere in the world? There was a business program in Sydney, Australia, and I went down there and interned at an agency there, was actually working on Rip Curl, which is a surfing brand, and um, Kellogg, so getting to work with the Aussie food scene down under, which was super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I learned how to surf down there. I met a lot of really good friends. Um, so it was interesting to kind of get the dose of the Aussie sarcastic sense of humor and learning about their food culture. It was all so inspiring to me. And of course, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is beautiful. And so you, you have this love of food. Uh, did that come from being inspired by your parents or just something you picked up on your own? Yeah, I think my love of food was originally born out of, I'm actually a pretty picky eater. So always been a little difficult. You know, it's definitely evolved to be a lot wider of a palate, but I still have the things, you know, I like what I like. But, you know, I definitely evolved from only eating chicken fingers pretty sure I only wanted to eat chicken fingers and Reese's peanut butter cups for like the first 10 years of my life. But um, <laughs> I was an athlete in high school, pretty serious athlete, mostly soccer and track. So really demanding sports in terms of speed and strength and endurance. So I remember actually in fourth grade, I ate I think it was peanut butter and graham crackers. I ate a bunch of them before a soccer game in fourth grade. And it was the first time that I was playing the game. And I was like, you know, my whole life, I never kid, little kids eat whatever they want. But I was like, oh gosh, I am not, I feel really sluggish. I feel like my energy levels are down. And I just remember the, the innocent thoughts of like, oh gosh, like I'm never eating like that before a game. And that kind of kickstarted, you know, maybe even subconsciously eating well before you know to fuel my sports and so in high school i really enjoyed it wasn't like i was you know the queen of salads it was more like i liked finding healthy versions of traditionally unhealthy things so whether it was like a healthy pancake recipe or this is when my fascination with smoothies began because they were like ice cream but they had all these nutrients in them and i felt really good after eating it so then i could go play soccer and not want to throw up that was kind of where the obsession began. <laughs> so then ultimately you decide, geez, there's a food business in my future and Lil Bucks is, is born. You know, there's lots of food things you could have done. How did you choose sprouted buckwheat and the associated, um, you know, complementary products around that uh, to formulate your business? 
I mean, a lot of people go out seeking businesses. They know they're entrepreneurial and they recognize that and they want to go out and start a business. I mean, even when I was a kid in a Chicago suburb, we literally came up with different food mixtures and would like sell them. Like we did kapukis, which were cupcake cookies. And we mixed together different sodas. I mean, like soda and would go on the street and have like special lemonade stands, clearly kind of my professional makeup and what I'm good at and how I work is helpful for being an entrepreneur. It's all the signs, the writing was on the wall, but I didn't see that. I mean, I was only 24. I was still living in Australia. I think it was 24 when I came up with the idea for Low Bucks because it was when I was living in Australia that I was still working, you know, corporate marketing jobs at agencies, but still not really feeling, feeling like it's the right fit um, and wanting to be challenged more. And that's when I came across Sprouted Buckwheat, noticed it was a widespread superfood down under, used as a hero ingredient in tons of breakfast, snacking, and dessert products. And then also, um, you know, restaurants are using it. I had it for the first time on a smoothie bowl. So they used Sprouted Buckwheat on the bowl instead of granola. It gave that like addictive crunch, that texture. And then I felt amazing after eating it. So it goes back to those soccer days where it's like, oh my gosh, I found something that actually tastes really good and you know you're not sacrificing the taste and texture but then i feel amazing after eating it so then of course it becomes a huge obsession and then it really innocently started from oh well turns out because when i was getting ready back ready to move back to america in 2017 there was no brands promoting sprouted buckwheat you know, all the benefits, it's gluten-free, grain-free, high in protein and fiber. So it lines up with all these things that are really popular right now and it actually tastes good. So it just kind of innocently started as like, well, all right, then I'll bring it to America. <laughs> how hard could this be? So you gave us some perspective of, you know, how you started you know, the business or why you started the business, but what was kind of the first thing you had to do? You, you knew that now this was the product. Where do you source this product? How do you get it made to your particular specs? You've got packaging to put together. Who helped you do all this stuff? Yeah, for me, it was really a learn by doing process. I'm very much a learn by doing rather than make a plan and um, and then execute. You probably get some things done faster and learn quickly. But in other ways, you know, there's been many logistical challenges I ran into because I didn't have a plan in place or didn't know what I was doing. But alas, it's the path I took. So for me, it started, um, you know, with packaging. That was the first thing. I was still in Australia when I had this idea. I was getting ready to move back to the US, but I already had the idea. So as a graphic designer, I was already working on the brand and the packaging. So of course, you know, I have all the fun stuff in my mind, what the fun stuff is ready to go. And then I moved back to the US and I'm like, great, now I gotta figure out like actually how to make this product and the ingredient sourcing and the operations and logistics, which was definitely more of a learning curve for me where I have all those strengths in marketing communications. There's certainly some weak points I discovered in operations and logistics. Yeah, with sourcing, I innocently, but I actually love the way it happened. I was just looking up. I didn't know how food sourcing in the food industry worked. So I started Googling organic buckwheat farmers in Illinois because um, I moved back to Chicago. So I started with Illinois and then moved on to the Midwest. And I'm on these really, really old HTML websites, all text only random directories of organic farmers in the Midwest. And I would find anyone who listed buckwheat and I would end up calling them. It would be their homes because I'm calling farmers in their homes. 
you know, they're answering and we get to talking about buckwheat and I'm like, hey, I'm interested in building this buckwheat product, blah, blah, blah. You know, then I'm starting to learn how it works. Like generally the buckwheat has to get milled and I would buy it from a mill. But at the same time, I'm having these conversations with the source and hearing their perspective on buckwheat. And many of them said, they're like, oh, I would love to grow more buckwheat because it's really great for my soil health. But, you know, there's just not a demand for it or I've had a hard time finding people will buy it or being able to produce it profitably. So sometimes I just grow it on my farm to improve soil health, but at a loss. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's so interesting. And then doing more research, I was like, okay, so buckwheat's really great for soil health and plays a part in this regenerative agriculture. So again, I go back to the farmers and I'm like, all right, well, I'll create demand for you. <laughs> um, fast forward three years, we actually just contracted our first um, regenerative sort of certified field of buckwheat. So that's really exciting to be able to stay true to that word. But yeah, then I started, um, got my buckwheat source. That was obviously the biggest thing since our products are very much based in buckwheat. And then we started making it out of a shared commercial kitchen. And by we, I mean me. So when I moved back, I was freelancing marketing for some small and medium businesses, mostly in food and wellness. So that worked out, but I was freelancing during the day, more than full time, making little bucks in a shared commercial kitchen at night. And then, you know, starting to try to sell it on weekends at fitness festivals and markets. So it was pretty crazy, but that's how we got started. And when you, when you look at today where you're selling, so come back a little bit to some of the marketing and, and things that you're doing, your, your website is great, colorful, you know, the packaging is, is really uh, interesting as well, but, you know, talk a little bit about where you're selling your product today. Yeah. So we are taking an omni channel approach, I think as a food brand, groceries are one of those things that still some people want to buy on shelf. Of course, we saw a big shift in 2020. So last year, we were about 50% online sales between our website and Amazon and 50% wholesale. So that'd be customers like Whole Foods, Marno's, which is a good chain in Chicagoland. So you talked about Whole Foods selling uh, in, in the Midwest. Uh, opportunities to sell uh, more nationally for you, do you believe? Yeah, so we started our presence, of course, in the Midwest where we're from. So Chicagoland, Whole Foods, um, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, of course. So we've started expanding our footprint there with other chains and independent stores. Natural food stores are obviously a big champion for us. And then we actually just uh, expanded distribution in Southern California and Northern California, which are both pretty dense regions, especially with natural food accounts and natural retail. So that's been really exciting. We're in a few chains in Los Angeles and starting to expand and pitch more accounts. And then the plan is after this year to go more nationally with retail, East Coast, Pacific Northwest and the South. So well, it sounds like uh, you're, you've got a good trajectory. One of the nice parts about uh, having a direct-to-consumer, you know, an online business, is you get to have some direct conversation, you know, with your customers, you know, a little bit different than if you're yeah. selling through a Whole Foods. What, what have you been able to, to gain? What kind of information have you been able to gain from a rebuy rate perspective of people that are buying online? That's been a really good metric for us, uh, especially online, because it's harder to tell 
in retail exactly who's buying again. Obviously, we're just tracking, you know, is our velocity, you know, how many units we're selling per store per week going up over time, because then we're just assuming that people are rebuying while we bring bring in more customers to the Little Bucks family. But online, we can directly assess it. So we just look at reorder rate, percentage of customers reordering, how can we get that to go up? And then working, we're actually working on setting up more automations now on bringing back customers that maybe have it ordered in three, six months. What's our plan to get them to come back and testing different motivations to get them to come back. Yeah. And you also offer a subscription model online, right? Yeah. So the ultimate goal is, I'm really excited. And I, I now have a team to help support these dreams and visions I have, but for direct to consumer, obviously that's a huge opportunity for us, specialty diets like paleo, gluten-free, grain-free, high protein, uh, superfood, all these things we fall under. Direct to consumer is a huge opportunity for that. So we're really excited to build out our marketing funnels there. And ultimate goal is to lead to that subscription. So, you know, actually, since we talked, you know, last late last night, we've been pushing some website updates live. So really simplifying our landing pages. And once we get people in the cart, do we upsell, get more, a higher average order value? And then after the post-purchase, how are we engaging them, sending recipe eBooks, reminding them to reorder, and then like, hey, why don't you just enter our subscription model? So anyway, we can funnel to that automatic order that just renews monthly or every other month is, you know, the best. And if we can have a solid base of subscribers for, you know, a couple of years to come, we have a good base for the business. You, you mentioned uh, your team. So talk a little bit about your team. This is no longer the uh, Emily show, right? Yeah, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> uh, it was the Emily show for a long time. And it was really hard once we started getting bigger and especially managing a lot of the pandemic pivots on my own and with the help of our advisors, of course. But now we do have a marketing manager brought over from another national granola brand. So she's really focused on leading general brand building activities, but also her North Star is taking care of our retail accounts. We kind of call it a marketing playbook for every account we open, whether it's an independent store or something like a Whole Foods, um, which would obviously have a little more customization, but there is a checklist of like 14 things. Like, have we done all these things? Are we looping back every two or three months to see how things are going? We're tracking velocities at each store. So her big thing is just making sure general velocities always, you know, at a good place and going up. We want to be in the top third of our categories because um, the only way now we do have a good retail footprint. While it's not national, the only way you go national is if you you know, or the easiest way to go national is just proving out really strong, solid numbers and a really good business in a couple regions and then take that national. So our marketing manager has been really amazing for that. And then we also have a community manager, which traditionally I think at least because I come from the digital marketing world, I always thought of as a social media manager, but I'm really thinking about it beyond that. This person started part-time, but we're now bringing on full-time as a the pandemic is easing. So this community manager is not only the digital 
and social media and building, you know, kind of that front line of that direct relationship with our customers, um, email marketing, but it's also field marketing. So starting to be at events, work with influencers, kind of building that whole community of people around our business, kind of have the retail marketing manager, our community manager, you know, both are focused on some brand building activities, but have their own specific KPIs. And then I'm leading up a lot of just the sales of getting stuff in the pipeline for our retail marketing manager and then the direct consumer marketing manager and I are kind of working on together. I of course have a background in D to C, so that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, the website is great. I, I think the uh, a lot of the engagement that you have, you know, from a social perspective is is quite good. Um, you know, I, I've really enjoyed uh, spending time on it. H how do you think about pricing? Generally speaking, you know, in the food business, there's always some kind of a promotion going on. Mm -hmm. You sell on Amazon, which is, you know, a highly promotional kind of a vehicle. How do you think about, you know, the different channels that you're selling in and, and trying to maintain as much margin as you can? Yeah, that's um, always tricky per channel. But fortunately, we were setting the price for sprouted buckwheat. And I I purposefully knew, you know, I looked at the category and what we're competing against. What are people, even though sprouted buckwheat in a way is kind of an incremental add to people's pantries, because once they try it, it's, you know, it's totally new, different thing that, you know, you just add to your routine. But you still have to think about it in a way of, okay, if they're quote unquote hiring little bucks into their shopping cart, what are they firing? So I really assumed that was granola because the most common way to eat little bucks is like a granola. So on smoothies, oatmeal, yogurt. So we're competing against granola. Okay, let's look at the set of Whole Foods and other natural stores and even conventional to see where we eventually, so conventional being something like a Target or a mass market Kroger, something like that and seeing where we can price competitively, but then still actually make money um, because we wanted to build a business where, you know, it's like, it's not like, oh, the scale, the money will come once we scale, blah, blah, blah. I'm learning. There's just so many things that happen between, you know, starting the business and quote unquote, reaching your economies of scale. So many, yeah, like you said, discounts you have to do in retail, shipments get lost, you have to resend. Amazon is just the wild west in terms of tracking and making sure you're actually making money off that <laughs> i'm really happy so for example little bucks are priced at 6.99 a little expensive if you're looking at a target granola set or a kroger granola set you're going to see some things in there for 3.99 4.99 so the goal is when we're at that mass market level that we would be competing closer to that 4.99 5.99 uh, which we would be able to support but starting at a little bit higher as we're in a pre we're in more of the premium marketplace right now um getting our first wave of digital customers and then working in places like whole foods that's kind of why it's priced where it's at right now and then fortunately i think that was a good price to start with because there's a lot of things always discounts everywhere you turn do you have a direct-to-consumer business I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. As you were 
putting together your your game plan and you know you obviously had expenses to get started was this uh, you were bootstrapping from the very beginning did you have friends and family you know participating how have you funded the business yeah so actually let's see i bootstrapped it for about two full years I would say our first year in business, I mean, you'll see a lot of food startups that come out swinging, they raise venture money, they come out with a beautiful brand, they're paying, you know, salaried team members that have experience building other brands or come from bigger food companies. That is not the route that we took. It was very on the ground farmers market, like we did $10,000 in sales our first year. Uh, so that's like the definition of a side hustle, like, oh, this cute granola brand, um, so we launched in 2018, uh, about middle of the year, this was all coming out of pocket from that, my marketing freelancing. And then in 2019, I was kind of starting to learn more about our customers. You know, at the time we were still only selling in brown, you know, craft bags, like you might see at a natural market or farmer's market. And so I'm like, okay, now it's time to get what I called real packaging, not like we're going to sit there and have to put stickers on the front of back of every bag for hours. So it's time to get real packaging. We know how to communicate about Sprouted Buckwheat to our consumers. I want to get into stores. I took a course on how to work with retail clients because I was really clueless. And there's actually someone in the industry offering a course on it. So that was really helpful. So by mid 2019, I've got this course. We got our first packaging lined up. I went to my first food trade show, which was really eye-opening. So tons of networking and learning that way. Um, and I pitched the Whole Foods, the Midwest region, through quite a bit of hustling and stroke of luck, they agreed to bring us into the entire Midwest region, which is kind of crazy. Most brands start with like a few stores, um, but we started with an entire region. So it was pretty wild. And at that point, um, I was like, okay, we need to raise money <laughs> to support this big launch. And that was kind of the catalyst to be like, okay, you know, we've proven out the concept enough to get to this level where we're at, you know, we got Whole Foods to say yes. And that was a really something that people trusted. So we raised our friends and family round around that in December, 2019 to launch into Whole Foods in March, 2020, which of course aligns with the pandemic's launch into the US. Pretty much my whole, journey as a food founder and really growing and taking i started doing will bucks full-time in february of 2020 was weaning off some freelance clients so the whole time i've been doing it full-time and we've really grown and expanded distribution and our brand started to gain national recognition this was all remote from behind my computer so it's very weird that's uh, that's really incredible. And yeah, I know because I was a participant, uh, you did a funding through Republic. Uh, how did that go for you? And, and for those that you know, may not know what Republic is, could you tell us? Yes. So Republic is a crowdfunding platform. Um, so we were able to raise on a safe note, which um, is a common way to raise money for a startup before something like venture capital. This is perfect. So crowdfunding, we're raising money from anyone, anyone who wants to invest as little as 150 bucks. And the beauty of this is that you didn't have to be an accredited investor. So there's certain parameters that, you know, restrict most people from investing into early stage startups. It's meant to protect people, but um, you know, there's a lot of people that have money they want to invest in a business they really believe in and take their chance on that big dream. You know, this is going to be the next big success, you know, the next Uber or whatever, or in the food industry, you know, the next RX bar. 
you know, I got, you know, through 2020, of course, we launched into Whole Foods and probably the worst month to historically launch anything into a grocery store. Pretty wild ride, um, you know, trying to continue fundraising to get to that next level, all from behind the screen. So it was a really hard year from that perspective to keep kind of every day, dig deep and keep going. Around October of 2020 is when I first learned about uh, crowdfunding with Republic. And that's the platform I ultimately chose to raise on. You know, it just seemed like a no brainer to me. We had such a passionate community on social media and our email and uh, fans that really believe in this extremely unique food product that we're bringing to them. I was like, you know, I think this is kind of like throwing the Hail Mary. It's a lot of work and there is an invest, there's investment on the business's end involved in putting on the campaign, like, you know, tons of work. Most people pay for a video. I, of course, made it on iMovie. Um, you have to hire lawyers for the paperwork and you know external accounting firm to review all your financials. So there's a bit of the risk and like, well, hopefully people want to invest. Input pays off. And you know my hunch was correct that my community really did want to get involved at a deeper level with Little Bucks. And we were able to raise $155,000 on the platform, which also gave us a lot of attention with investors. Um, and we were able to close a little more money outside of that after the Republic round. So ultimately achieved our fundraising goals in a not traditional route, but it was an amazing to bring this big community along with us. And thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really nice. And you you didn't start off thinking you were going to raise 155K, right? You know, the early number you'd put out was much lower? Oh yeah. I was like, I'm excited if I get to 25K. At that point, I'd invested about 5K in between lawyers and accounting, which was pretty low. But and then of course I did the movie myself and all this stuff. But I was like, worst case I just lose my time. But I was like, I'm excited if we get to 25K. And at that point, if you get to 25K, I mean that would have meant a lot for us business wise. There's just some things that I couldn't, you know, we were so strapped for cash that you know, that would just give us a little bit of breathing room. And then on top of that, if you get to 25K on the Republic platform, they start to do some marketing for you. So they put $2,000 behind an advertising campaign. And then they're also, um, they send out an email to all their whole investor database around the world about your campaign. Once we hit that, I was so excited because we got to 25K. Republic sends out an email and almost overnight we had, we were at 50K. So then I was like, oh, okay. And then we start getting 50K. Then we happened to be pitching in a pitch competition, naturally Chicago at the food industry competition. So words getting out like, oh, Lil Bucks actually is raising some money on this platform. This is really interesting. And it was one of the earlier food brands to do it on that platform. So people started noticing. And by the time we pitched about a month, or maybe five weeks into the campaign, we were in this pitch competition. I remember we were at 88,000. So I was able to say that in the pitch competition, which I really think sparked more interest in, oh, you know, a lot of people are getting behind this. So it was really exciting. And then, yeah, we closed it April. Very nice. We're at 155. So I was like, wow, if we can get to 100K, amazing. And then we got to 155. So very cool. 
Congratulations. So as we uh, we wrap up, I have one one more question. You know, I've I've done a lot of uh, these interviews with early stage, you know, founders, um, and everyone you know seems to have a story about things that they've had to do that turned out to be way harder than they ever expected that it would be. Is there <laughs> something that stands out for you like that? Oh my gosh, so many things. <laughs> I think because I totally went into it like, how hard could it be? Just learning by doing. So there was plenty of things that were harder than I thought they would be. But I think one of the biggest is logistics were harder to set up than I thought. And there's just, you know, it's not a one and done. You always have to be tending to it. Things are always going wrong. The bigger you get, the more challenges there are with getting everything for everyone from A to B. So that was a learning curve for me at first since I had no experience in that department and my brain just doesn't connect A to B in a very good way. <laughs> so it was a learning curve, but really grateful to have that figured out. And then I think just in general, um, I didn't really realize how much, how dialed in your communication with the consumer has to be. People look at a product and they have two seconds and they've already made a judgment in their head. So there needs to be the most clear and concise way to communicate a product quick as possible. And I think that will forever be a challenge, especially with something that is so unique and new to the U.S. market, like sprouted buckwheat. So, you know, I always think like, oh, now we've got it cracked. And then, you know, there's just always more to learn about our customer and more to dial in with the comms. And I think it's never ending really, <laughs> which is, I, I of course love that's like, as a marketer, it's really interesting to me, but I don't know as a digital marketer, I'm like, Oh yeah, we'll set up a cool marketing funnel, a cool website. And we'll just let it run and that'll be it. And it's like, no, three years later, constantly dialing it in, constantly learning, constantly adjusting. So it's a lifestyle. <laughs> oh, outstanding. Great story. So um, we end these uh, shows with a, a quick two-minute drill. I'll give you a couple of questions, give one or two uh, word answers that first come to mind, okay? Okay. All right. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Of course, Patagonia. Always been a fan of reading their the Von Chouinard, Let My People Go Surfing, and always thought that was a really interesting way to run a business and never thought I always wanted to work for them, but now I get to build my own business and actually working with them on some regenerative agriculture stuff. So it's pretty full circle and a dream. A favorite app on your phone? Instagram, of course. <laughs> the last website other than Amazon that you shopped from. Can't use yours either. Oh, this is very millennial and food industry of me, but there's this website called queen.co with a K, K-W-E-E-N, and they sell granola butter. It's like peanut butter, but it's made from ground up granola and it's really good on smoothies. Um, okay. So that's what I bought. <laughs> Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were. Gosh, being organized, tidy. All right, charitable organization that yeah. you're passionate about. Surf Rider Foundation. Okay. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Not having to sleep. And the last one, other than family, what's your most prized possession? All my journals. I've been journaling since I was 18. So I have a little story of my life that I can read whenever I want. So I'd be devastated if I lost them. There's a memoir that's going to be sold on. Uh... Yeah. yeah, maybe. 
I, uh, I interviewed uh, on the show here the, the founder of Hint Water. Yeah, yeah. Kara Golden. So, uh, you know, she's done some publishing, you know, as well. A very interesting uh, lady, and they've got an, a, a tremendous business. We'll, we'll wish the best for you there. Where can people reach out uh, to you, uh, Emily, for social media? Yes. Yeah, so we're at on all channels, mostly Instagram and TikTok now. Um, and LinkedIn is, you know, those platforms. And then the handles at love little buck. So L O V L I L B U C K S. And then our website's of lilbucks.com. We post a lot of fun recipes there too. So if you're like, how the heck do I use this? We got your back. <laughs> oh, great. Well, look, uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, really good story, uh, continued success. And I hope my, uh, my small investment that I made on Republic, uh, will turn into millions of dollars, Emily. Lil bucks for the big bucks. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Emily Griffith for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, starting a new company is tough enough, but when your business is creating a new market like Emily is for sprouted buckwheat in the United States, you have challenges that many other brands might not be contending with. It's critical that your customer communications be clear and concise, and you need to constantly refine and iterate your message. Identify for the customer the problem that you might be solving for them with your product. Number two, Emily described how she continues to wear many hats in her business. She's the jack of all trades simply because as a startup, the human resources are very limited. It's good advice because even if you're working in a larger business, make yourself more valuable by broadening your skill set. You certainly want to have a focused core competency, but being a solid utility player, willing to roll up your sleeves and do anything required is not a bad thing. And number three, do not underestimate how long it takes to get things done. Everything seems to take longer than it should. Be patient, have a plan, but leave yourself enough room in the schedule to handle unforeseen circumstances. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Details.